press into God's presence, and sometimes it's just our own busyness. Sometimes um, it's uh, perhaps a sense of guilt at looking at our own failure. But the, the quickest way, the, the most powerful way for you to invite God's presence is to, is to take some time to worship him. And that simply, you can just begin by saying, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you that you're faithful. And just begin there. And then as you do, there's, you know, the, the God begins to give you the ability, the power to walk in a way that he calls you to walk, that, that this thing called righteousness becomes part of your life. It's just, the, it's the spirit of God working in you to be able to live differently that you could, than you live in, in your own flesh. And it's God at work. It's God's spirit in us. And so uh, just thinking about that as we've been worshiping, um, that uh, that's a powerful way to invite God's presence. You might want to try it this week and just take some time, put on a song, turn your heart to God, open your mouth, begin to praise him, and that invites his presence. So I'm going to invite you to turn to uh, first, uh, Second Corinthians, sorry, uh, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are one week away from, from our celebration of Easter, celebration of what Jesus has done for us by his death and resurrection. And this morning, we're not actually going to, you know, it's Palm Sunday, and so uh, in, in the timeline of Jesus leading up to his death, it was about a week before he was crucified that he made his way into Jerusalem, and people kind of recognized him as an earthly king. They thought he was coming to Jerusalem to set them free from that oppressive Roman rule, uh, but he was coming to set them free in a much deeper way, uh, free from, from our sinfulness. So they began to lay down some palm branches and and uh, acknowledged him as an earthly king, and, and then he was crucified. So today we're not actually going to talk about Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about something different. But two things before we get to the word of God. First of all, I want to mention, if we could have that slide. Um, sorry, uh, Dave, I'm jumping around a bit. Uh, Rachel mentioned that on the 28th we have a guest speaker, Jeff Feuders. And I'm not, most of you know, but I'll mention it in case you don't. Uh, we support two church families, two churches in the nation of Israel. And one of those churches is in Tel Aviv, probably the second largest city in Israel. And they are a church called the, the Duget Outreach Center. They have a heart for Tel Aviv, for that city. They have a heart for people to know uh, the power of God in their lives and the hope that he brings. And so we support them every um, couple times a year. We send some money their way to support their ministry. We also support a congregation in the capital of Israel in Jerusalem called Shemen Sasson. Jeff Feuders is kind of our link to these two church families. And I'm so blessed to be able to say that we as a church support uh, the gospel, God's work in reaching to the nation of Israel. And here's why, uh, I just want to be really clear where we stand with that, where I stand in terms of Israel, and that is that we bless Israel, and, and here's why. Scripture says that those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And there's a blessing in blessing the, the people of God, the Jews, uh, and they need to hear about Jesus. And so we support um, we support these two church families. And if there's any question about where we stand on blessing Israel, let's just be really clear this morning. We bless Israel as a church. And I believe we're blessed in return. How many of you know that every earthly government is flawed? So by blessing Israel, does it mean that, we, that the government and the decisions they make are all perfect? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that we stand on a principle that we will sow into the gospel going forward into that nation of Israel. And I believe there's a blessing in that. So if there's ever a question, let me make it very clear today. We bless Israel. And I'm so thankful that we can do that. 
Um, and so, the church that we support in Jerusalem, they had a fire uh, several months ago now, and um, a, an electrical fire. And so as a result, they had some repair, about $4,000 of repair they had to do. They didn't have the money to do that, and someone has temporarily uh, kind of helped them with that. But uh, on the 28th, we're going to take up an offering. And if you feel you want to sow into that church family and just help them with that need, um, we all know what it's like to be in a, in a situation where something happens and we don't have the money. So we want to give that opportunity for you to bless them. Just be praying about that. On the 28th, there's going to be a love offering for them. And then second thing, very quickly, we have a busy weekend coming up. Good Friday. Would you join us here? There's four churches joining together on Good Friday. It's always, there's always a special sense of that coming together of unity. And um, don't miss that service. It's going to be uh, just a powerful time together. And then on Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then in between that, there's going to be uh, upwards of 200 kids on Saturday coming here to look for chocolate. How many of you go to Tanger Outlet Mall sometimes? I go there maybe once in a year. Uh, I hate shopping for clothes. It just, I, it, it's not my idea of fun. But once in a while, I have to go. And so how many of you know, you probably do already, that there is a chocolate store in Tanger Outlet Mall. What's the name of it? Lint. If you've never tasted Lint chocolate, you know it's good. And here's what else. They give out free samples. So usually if, you know, my once a year trip to Tanger Outlet Mall, uh, when I'm in a bad mood because I have to be there, I'll stop by Lint and I'll get a couple of chocolates. Who doesn't like chocolate? Well, yeah, kids love chocolates too. And so there are going to be upwards of 200 children here on Saturday. And Rachel is going to give an opportunity. She's going to have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. So chocolate may have got them here, but what they need is Jesus. And I was thinking this week that um, I'm going to ask church that you would pray. And I was really convicted this week of our lack of prayer for some of these events that reaches out to our community. In fact, I would say there's been very little prayer. That needs to change. If we don't have the Spirit of God at work, then what we're left with was cho- we're left with chocolate and hyper kids. So, but all that's going to happen. But as we begin to pray and we say, God, as Rachel shares the gospel, as she shares the hope that there is in Jesus, as she shares that Jesus has come and, and that there's there's hope in God through Jesus, as she shares that, my prayer is that people will respond to the gospel. And so I realize that I've been so prayerless when it comes. Uh, to this event specifically, and I was convicted of that, and I felt the Lord say to me, you're expecting uh, significant results. How's that going to happen without prayer? And you'll be left with chocolate and some happy kids, but that's about it. So church, I'm going to ask you to pray, and I'm going to ask that on Wednesday of this week, that if you can, if you can set aside a meal, if you can fast, and if you can pray, and here's what you're praying for. You're praying that the gospel will find hearts that are ready to receive. You're praying that families will be transformed as they hear, perhaps for the very first time, the message that God loves us enough. He loved us enough to send Jesus. And there is a difference that we can experience in our lives because God can be drawn near to us through Jesus. And so that's, I'm asking you, church, I'm calling you to prayer. And I'm asking you to pray that Wednesday we will fast and pray for those that are coming that they will know the love of God for them. Would you do that? You know, the fact of the matter is if God's blessing isn't on something, no matter how much we pray, it's not going to make a difference. But church, let's pray and let's believe that, that as the gospel is shared, as Rachel shares the gospel, that there's going to be hearts that respond that there's going to be lives that are changed. 
And so I'll send you out a reminder uh, Tuesday and probably Wednesday as well, just to invite you, invite you to join us in prayer if you're able to do that. So I wanted to mention that as well. And so we come to our passage today, and my, my topic as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, some verses there, my topic is clarity. But I want to just read this first. If you have your Bibles and you are at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll start at verse 12, and we'll read down to verse number 18. Can I give you some quick context? Uh, Paul is, is teaching the church about the Old Covenant as opposed to the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was, was the law as given to Moses that we would know as the Ten Commandments. And he talked about how what the law did is it, it showed us the righteous path. It, it made us aware of right and wrong. It showed us what God's intent for us is. But it, it really was condemning in the sense that the law itself had no power to change us inwardly so that we could actually live differently. So he said that the law was, uh, was powerless to change us, but then something happened that through Jesus, we now can know the presence of God in our lives, and the Spirit of God allows us to live differently. It's not our own, you know, grit your teeth and just change the parts of us that need to change. No, it's an invitation to the Spirit of God to change our hearts. And then we can begin to live the way God calls us to live. And he says there's tremendous hope in that. So there's the old covenant and the new covenant. So he says we have so much hope. In verse 12, we pick it up. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Let's pause for a moment. He's referring back to when God called Moses up on Mount Sinai. He said, Moses, I'm going to give the Ten Commandments to my people. I'm going to lay out for you the path of what it looks like to walk in righteousness. And Moses went into the very presence of God. And Scripture says that his face actually was glowing. That when he came down from the mountain and being in the presence of God, people could see with their physical eyes a difference on Moses' face. And it was kind of like, you know, he had this light bulb that just switched on. And they, they saw this, this visible radiance. It was, it was the glory of God. But, but as time went on, that, that glory would begin to fade. See, Moses wasn't still in the, in the very manifest presence of God. And so what Moses would do, in order for that people wouldn't see the glory fading... And that, that glory fade away. He would veil his face. We don't know exactly how that looked, but he would put something over his face because the glory was fading. He didn't want people to see that. And so Paul says, we're not like Moses who put a veil over our face so that we don't see the glory of God fading. And he goes on and says, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. So, so Paul says just like that physical veil would keep the people from seeing Moses' face clearly, that there is a spiritual veil over our hearts when we read the scripture, when we read uh, God's word, that there's, there's a lack of clarity. Except, he goes on and says this, uh, their minds are made dull when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, the veil, because only in Christ is it taken away. Only in what Jesus has done can we have clarity to know the righteousness of God and to know his presence and his voice in our lives. He goes on and says this. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. And this is the verse that we're going to key in on today. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Whenever anyone turns to the Lord through what Jesus has done, whenever you turn to God, there comes a clarity. Because what was veiled to you before now becomes visible. What was unclear to you before now becomes clear. And clarity begins to come into your life when we turn to God. And then he goes on and says this, Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where God begins to work in your life through the spirit of God, you begin to experience freedom from things before that used to be uh, have you in bondage. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What he is saying is that that moment when we turn to Christ and we allow the Spirit of God to begin to work in us, we begin to reflect the work of God. God's work is visible in your life because you begin to change. And as people see your life, they begin to see the visible work of God's spirit within you because you begin to change. Something begins to happen in your life as God's spirit works in you. And he says that work of the spirit is just supposed to increase. It's not supposed to fade and diminish like Moses had to veil his face because he didn't want to see, he didn't want people to see that. Sometimes we look at our lives and we think, God, your work in me is diminishing. And the sense of your presence is fading. You know, that's never God's intent for your life, but God's intent for your life is that you would have more and ever-increasing sense of the Spirit of God at work in you. And that people would begin to see that you would see. That you would look at areas of your life and you would say, that, there is no way that that could change in me except for the, the presence and the work of the Spirit of God. And God's intention for you by his spirit is that you would know his presence in an ever-increasing way. And so I want to just encourage you today with this thought that when the spirit of God begins to touch your life in a deep way, there's a clarity that comes. I believe that, that when God begins to speak, uh, to touch your life by his spirit in a deep way, what happens is there is a clarity that comes. You begin to see uh, into the heart of God in the way that apart from his spirit you cannot. You begin to see things that, that are of eternal nature rather than having your eyes completely focused on what is temporal. You begin to understand the things of God and there's clarity that begins to come. And then when that happens, something begins to happen in your life, things like this, your priorities begin to shift. Your priorities begin to change because you're seeing differently. There's clarity about what is important in your life. What happens is the affections of your heart begins to change. And what seemed so important to you at one time in your life, you begin to see that differently. And you begin to long for something different in your life. You begin to long to live out of a different place. And this is what happens. This clarity can come to your life as the Spirit of God begins to work in you deeply. You will begin to see differently. You will begin to perceive the things of God And where you used to pour your energy into that place and you begin to see the temporary nature of that and your heart will begin to hunger for something different. And I believe one of the marks of a deep work of the Spirit of God in our lives is this word called clarity. I believe that you will begin to see things differently. You will begin to understand things about God that you never understood before. And as we sang about this morning, that the things of this world would begin to fade. They no longer will hold all of your attention 
and all of your heart affection and all of your energy, but you will begin, you will begin to press into God's um, vision for your life. How many of you know that we need vision beyond our present circumstance? That we need to see beyond what we may hold as so important today. That we need to lift our eyes a little higher than the temporal things of this world and begin to ask God to help us to fix our eyes on something different, something that is eternal in nature. We need the Spirit of God to lift the veil off our eyes sometimes, don't we? No matter how long we've walked with God. And my heart's cry today is that we would know a greater clarity, that as the Spirit of God begins to work in us, that we would see what we've never seen before. We would experience God in a way that we've never experienced him before. Just the next chapter over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul begins to talk about this idea of temporal versus eternal. And again, he's talking about the hope that we have, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, because of this hope, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Though outwardly, we may be facing impossible circumstances. Though outwardly, we may seem weak and unable to face what we need to face. Inwardly, as God's Spirit works in us, there's life. There's a renewal that's happening. There's the Spirit of God at work in us. There's a peace and a joy that doesn't make sense apart from the Spirit of God. And he goes on and says this, For our light and momentary troubles, sometimes when we're in the middle of them, they don't seem light, they don't seem momentary, they seem heavy, and they seem like they're never going to end. But he just puts it into perspective. He says, those things are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the trials that we face. So then he says this, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen or temporal, but on what is unseen, what is eternal. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. You know, you may read that and say, Paul, you're giving us an impossible directive. Your eyes are instruments of sight, and your eyes can only see what is physical. And Paul is saying, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. So in other words, see what is unseen. Well, isn't that an impossibility? What is Paul talking about? How is he saying to us, fix your eyes on what you can't see? Has anyone ever kind of given you something that just seems impossible? You know, maybe a task that your, your boss has given you? Well, when we read this and we think, well, Paul, what are you saying here? We know what he's saying. He's saying that, that we, we look different, we look further beyond what we see as physical and temporary. That we are to raise our gaze a little bit higher than what is temporary. And so he says, fix your eyes not on what is seen. Don't become so fixated on, on the physical parts of this world and of this life that you miss seeing the eternal things that God calls us to see. And boy, it is so easy for us to have our eyes fixed on the temporal, isn't it? It's so easy for us to have our eyes fixed on, on the things that we can see and that we can touch and perhaps we even put our hope in those things, and we will only put our hope in something we can touch and feel. And Paul says, wow, hang on a minute. There are things that are unseen that you can fix your eyes on. You can turn your heart in the direction of God and begin to experience his presence in your life that isn't seen in terms of your physical eyes, but you begin to see God's work in you. 
You begin to see his power at work in your life. And so he says, fix your eyes on what is unseen. And I think what he says is, raise your gaze a little higher. And maybe that's a thought that you'll need to take with you this morning, that at some point this week, you're going to need to raise your gaze. In fact, turn to someone and say, raise your gaze. Take a minute and say that. Raise your gaze. This is what Paul's telling us to do. And when all we can see is what is temporary. We need to call out to God and say, God, I need you to lift that veil. I need to see your heart in this. I need to see your power and your presence today. I need to see what is unseen. I need to sense your presence, God. How many of you know, I feel this sometimes, that we need a a detox from the temporal. Have you ever felt that? We are in a society, in a culture where that emphasizes things and stuff over and over again. And sometimes I feel like I just need a detox from that message. That I don't need one more thing. I need a detox. I need need to lay aside some of those things. They can take all of our energy. They can take 150% of your focus. And I don't know if you've ever got tired of that. And said, God... I'm so fixated on the temporal. I'm missing the things of God as I walk through this life. I'm so fixated on the next thing or on the next project or, or on that, that, that goal that I've, I've, I'm missing you, God. I'm missing your presence in my life. And there are times when we need a spiritual detox. We need those temporal things to fade into the position where they need to be. We can enjoy them. But boy, they need to be in the rightful place. And I was sensing that this morning as I was thinking about this. God, would you give us a detox of the temporal? Would you clear the clutter in our minds? Would you allow us to see you? Oh, God, would you touch our lives today? Would you lift that veil that brings clarity that we would see you? And so Paul says, listen, raise your gaze. He says in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Since you have been made new because of Jesus' work in your life, Set your hearts on things above, not on temporal things. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Don't set your heart there. Don't set your mind there. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He reminds us that there is a spiritual transaction that has taken place in our lives, that when we put our faith in Christ, we are now given the righteousness of Christ. And we are now free to experience the Spirit of God in our lives where we were not free to experience that before. And Paul says, don't set your mind here. Don't set your heart here. But set your heart and your mind on the things of God. Seek his presence in your life. Don't get so caught up in the temporal that you miss what God wants to speak into you. And so as we set our hearts and our minds on things above, I believe that we begin to see more clearly the things of God, that that veil begins to be removed and that we begin to see. And so Paul says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, whenever anyone turns to God, then that clarity begins as the Spirit begins to work in our hearts. You know, there's a thought that I want to bring us to and it's this, and to turn toward means to turn away. I'll just say that again. I'm sure you understand what I'm saying, but to turn toward means to turn away from what you were previously facing. How many of you know that you will never have a new perspective, you will never have a new view unless you turn? You will never have a new uh, understanding of God's purposes for you unless you decide, God, I'm going to turn toward you. 
And turning toward God means, means turning away from some things that we have been facing, that we have been emphasizing, that have been taking up all of our energy and all of our time and all of our passion, all of our headspace. And so it's so important where Paul says, when we turn, when we turn toward and we turn away from, and again, we can enjoy the things, the blessings of God. But when we turn toward God, it's in that moment where you make a determination, God, I am turning towards you with all of my heart today. I need your perspective. I need a heavenly perspective on this life that I'm living. As you turn and as you begin to face toward God instead of towards some of those things, then that's the beginning of clarity in your life. That's the beginning of a work of God's spirit in your life that begins to give you clear sight, that begins to help you to see and to hear God's voice in your life. And so to turn toward means to turn away. There may be some things that you need to turn away from today. Maybe some sin in your life that you need to turn away from. Sinful attitudes, sinful words. Perhaps there are some habits that you need to turn away from. Maybe you've been standing in front of the window of unforgiveness for decades. And that's all you can see. And perhaps God is saying to you today, it's time to turn away and to turn to me. Because you need a new perspective. Because you need to see things differently. Because you need a new freedom in your life. And I believe God's call on us today, the call of the Spirit of God for us today, is that we would turn toward him. And what is it today that you need to turn away from? Maybe it's pride or, or simple selfishness that we all struggle with. Maybe it's fear. But I believe that perhaps today there are some things that we need to turn away from. And we need to turn and face God and say, God, I am all in with you today. I'm turning towards you because I need a new perspective. And unless we turn, our view will never change. What a tragedy it is if we go through our entire life, perhaps knowing God at some level, but not knowing him in an intimate way because we've never truly turned fully in his direction. And we are facing bitterness. We are facing unforgiveness. We are facing uh, the things in our lives that that God wants to free us from. But unless you make a decision to turn, you will never see a new view. I don't know about you, but I want to keep turning to God. I want to keep turning away from those things that would seek to pull me away from God, and I want to know God more fully. And so to turn toward means to turn away. And then as we turn toward God, the veil is lifted. As we turn toward God, we begin to see more clearly. What an amazing thought. Will you turn toward him today? Will you turn away from some of those things that have been just looking you in the face for so long? Perhaps you've been trying to get past them in your own strength. And today the Spirit of God is saying, if you turn to me, I'm going to give you victory in that area. If you turn to me, I'll get you past that place where you're stuck, but you need to turn to me with all of your heart. As we turn toward God, the veil is lifted. And so we want to talk a little bit about the veil today. I want to take you to a moment. Uh, Would you come with me for a moment in your mind's eye? And the moment is this. The groom stands nervously at the front of the church. He's looking intently toward the back of the church, and he's looking for his bride. And there's that moment where he catches that first glimpse of her. In our church, it's usually this door that the brides come through. I don't know why. 
and they go out that door. But the groom is standing there and he's waiting. He's waiting to catch a glimpse of his bride. It's their special day where before God, they will commit to one another. Before God, they will become husband and wife. And they will do that in front of family and friends and in front of God. And there's that moment where he's waiting. He catches that glimpse of her. And, and we don't tend to do this so often anymore, but, but in this case, she's wearing a veil. And so he sees his bride and she begins to walk toward him and And he can see uh, aspects of her through that veil, but he knows on this day that there's a special glow on his bride's face. Every bride has a glow on her face on her wedding day, doesn't she? That's the day when she's radiant. She's, She's beautiful. She's taken time to prepare for that moment. And so he's watching as she comes and finally they are facing each other at the front of the church and, and he can't take his eyes off her. And, and he's, he's, he's looking at her through that veil and, and he can see some of the beauty, but he knows that, that there's more to be seen. He knows that as he's looking through that veil, he's seeing, but, it, but his view is obstructed a little bit and he can't wait for that moment when he can lift that veil. And so finally it comes and the pastor says what? He says, you may kiss your bride. And in that moment, he lifts that veil and he sees her clearly in all of the beauty and the radiance that he has been longing to see her in that day. And all of a sudden, there's nothing that is standing between him and her, and they are facing each other without any veil in between them. There is a clarity. There, there, is, a, there is a joy in them gazing at each other without anything obstructing the view, and that veil has been lifted. It is no longer there. What an amazing moment. You know, the the lifting of that veil is symbolic. It's not just physical. It's not just because we want to torture the groom for a few minutes, okay? But it's symbolic. And here's what it's symbolic of. The lifting of that veil is symbolic of intimacy. Because in that moment, what the bride is saying to her groom, she is giving him permission to lift that veil. And that, that, that groom is waiting for that moment when he can lift the veil. And what it is, it's, it's a symbolic of what is happening in their lives, where they are saying to one another, I want you to see into me in a way that no one else has seen into me. I want to make myself vulnerable to you in a way that no one else knows me. And so I want you to know me fully and I want to know you fully. I don't want anything to stand between us that we would know each other in a deep sense of intimacy. And so that moment of lifting the veil is symbolic of a decision that they have made to one another to allow each other to see into them deeply. And that is the vulnerability of marriage and sometimes it's scary because that person will begin to see things that are not visible with the naked eye they will begin to see the unseen. And you will begin to allow them to see into you. And in that sense, we see into each other. And you will begin to see into them. And there's this this desire for intimacy. And so while it's a vulnerable place and perhaps a little bit scary at times, it's worth it because that's where true intimacy is. And so often we keep a veil over our hearts But we know what it is to open up fully to someone and to know the intimacy that comes with being fully known and fully knowing that person and allowing them to see things in you that no one else sees. And sometimes we see things that are not easy for us to see. And oh, do we need God's grace in that moment. 
Oh, do we need God's love and, and God's perspective on each other as husband and wife in those moments? Oh, do we need to learn how to forgive? Because we're seeing perhaps what other people don't see. And so when we lift that veil, it's symbolic of intimacy. We begin to see into someone things that are not visible with the naked eye. But notice this. Notice this, that there's a sequence to that moment. There's a sequence because, first of all, what has happened between that man and that woman? Well, the first thing they've done is they have made a covenant with one another. They have made a deep commitment to one another. So before the lifting of the veil, before that, that, that seeing of one another, what has happened to them is they have said, I am covenanting with you to walk with you, to journey with you. I am making a deep uh, commitment to you. And out of that place of trust, then they begin to, to find places of intimacy. So what comes first is commitment. What comes first is a covenanting with one another. And that's the foundation of what a marriage is based on. It's based on that moment of looking each other in the face and saying, I commit to being your husband and I commit to being your wife. And then let's remove that veil on the basis of that foundation of commitment. Let's begin to enjoy an intimacy with one another that is not possible apart from that type of commitment to one another. You know, it's the same in our walk with God. It's the same in our walk with God. And this is how that looks. And I believe we can put it this way, that clarity begins with commitment. Clarity, if you want to see God clearly, if you want to know the things of God clearly, then it begins with commitment. If we want to know a deep place of intimacy with God, then it begins with that commitment. God, I will serve you. I will invite you to lead my life. I will lay down my life and allow you to lead me in the paths that you have for me. And it begins there. And sometimes we get that backwards. And how that looks is this. God, I want you to bless me. I, want, I, want to, you know, I kind of want to know your voice. I want your blessing on my plans. But I'm not really committed to you wholeheartedly. In fact, if I was to be honest, God, my commitment to you is pretty, it's pretty lean. It's pretty um, half-hearted. It doesn't work that way, church. If you want to know a clarity, if you want to be able to move your gaze from what's temporal to eternal, if you want to walk with God with intimacy, you need to settle that moment of commitment and it needs to go deep. You need to come before God and say, God, I, I commit to you in every way that I know how. And so what will bring confusion to your mind is a lukewarm walk with God. When we become comfortable with living that way or with tolerating sin in our lives, here's what happens. Our spiritual sight begins to become clouded. There's, there's just no two ways about it. You cannot see clearly unless there's a deep commitment to God. And if you've chosen to be comfortable with a lukewarm commitment to God, then you will never know the clarity, the joy of seeing clearly, the joy of a deep intimacy with God. It's not possible without a deep commitment to God. And perhaps this morning you're struggling and your prayer needs to be this, God, would you change my heart? Because I don't have the courage. Right now I know I'm lukewarm. I know that I'm comfortable with just this kind of arm's distance relationship with you. But God, there's something that I long for that's deeper. In spirit of God, would you help me to make a commitment to God that would allow me to see clearly? And so it really is a heart issue. It really is a heart issue.
You know, in that, in that state, it's something like living with spiritual cataracts, right? We, we can live that way as Christians. We can have spiritual cataracts, and, and, and so what, you know, there's some light getting through, but the, our vision isn't clear. There's some color, but man, there's no vibrancy. There's no life there, really. There's a little bit, but we're not really seeing clearly. We've got spiritual cataracts over our, our, our hearts, And the worst thing is that we can begin to think that's normal. (laughs) We can begin to think, well, isn't that just the way it is? You know, aren't the colors, isn't that what I should be seeing? How many of you have have had cataracts removed from your eyes? Yeah, some of you. You know, I've never had that happen to me. Sometime down the road, I might. But here's what I've heard people say. Man, I couldn't believe the vibrancy of the colors. Right, where over time, as your sight slowly begins to diminish, you don't even know what's happening and you don't know what you're missing out on, except when those cataracts are removed, all of a sudden, my goodness, this is what really was happening. I couldn't see it. Those colors, that's how, that's how a vibrant color really looks. I had forgotten how it looks. And there's something about clarity that allows us to enjoy the goodness of God. And there's something about spiritual cataracts that only the Spirit of God can remove. And you may think that you've seen everything that you can see in terms of the things of God. And let me tell you, if there's not a full, wholehearted commitment to God, then you're not living the vibrancy that God has called you to live. You are not seeing clearly unless there's a full commitment to God. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit this morning wants to remove some spiritual cataracts from our eyes. And that when he begins to move deeply in your life, that you will begin to see clearly. And so I love that promise in verse 16. When we turn to God, that veil is removed. And you know that turning to God just doesn't happen once. It happens at the moment of salvation when we choose Christ as our Savior. But then it happens again and again and again. That as we walk with God, there is a a daily turning to him. There is a daily decision to live our lives for God. And as we do, there is a spiritual sight that begins to come into our lives. I believe that this morning the Holy Spirit wants to help you to see beyond the surface when it comes to the things of God. He wants to help you to see into the heart of God. He wants for you to see into the wisdom of God for the decisions you're facing. He wants you to see into the power and presence of God and and to understand where he is at work in your life and at work in those around you. He wants you to see into the plan of God for your life in times when the way forward doesn't seem clear. And we are so dependent on the Spirit of God to do that work in us to bring clarity, to dispel confusion and to dispel doubt. That is the work of the Spirit of God. And the Bible says it's glorious. If you read that first part of chapter 3, Paul says, the ministry of the work of the Spirit is glorious. It is amazing when God begins to do his work in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. There is a glory that comes to your life. There is a presence of God that comes to your life. I'm just going to ask Yeshua to come back. We're going to take a moment this morning to respond to God's word. And my prayer this morning is this, oh God, would you give us heaven's perspective Oh, God, would you help us to lift our eyes, to raise our gaze a little higher than the temporal, God? Would you help us to begin to see into your heart 
Would you help us to begin to see clearly where we thought we were seeing clearly and we weren't? God, would you help us to come to a place of turning to you with all of our hearts today, that we would make a decision. God, no more lukewarm Christianity for me. But God, I want to turn to you with all of my heart because I know that I'm not seeing clearly. I know that I'm not experiencing the vibrancy of a relationship with you that is intimate. And so my prayer this morning is, God, would you touch our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that the temporal things would fade and that the things of eternity would begin to become very clear. Can we stand? We're just going to worship for a moment. We're going to pray together and we'll, we'll be dismissed. But I wonder this morning, do you need, do you need a fresh perspective? Do you need clarity in your walk with God? Do you need to be able to see something different than, than you're facing? I encourage you that on the strength of the word of God today, that as you turn to God, then the veil will begin to lift, that you will begin to see clearly. So I just believe that the spirit of God wants to do that work in us today. And then we would walk forward with clear sight. There would be no more confusion in our minds. We would enjoy the vibrancy of seeing and knowing God in an intimate way. Can you lead us in that song, Yeshua, and then we're going to pray. Would you look to God today? Would you begin to take a moment to worship him?